Right, welcome back for another great episode of Talks with Tatiana. And today I have Danielle Alexa with me. Danielle, welcome to the show. Hi, Tatiana. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to have you on the show. Um, and for those who don't know, Danielle is actually my coach. Um, I actually met met you at the life coaching school, right? I forgot what they're called, but... Uh, <laughs> Certified Life Coach Institute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's been a really great experience for me, and I really enjoyed being a part of that. So uh, it was really great to, to be able to connect with you and learn about your practice. And so um, let's start with you kind of sharing your entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journey with uh, me and my listeners and um, talking about the things that, how it all started, how, um, what things you kind of expected and didn't expect to do, but um, kind of how this whole process worked for you and um, where you are today. Oh, that's such a long journey. <laughs> and it all, it all started really about nine years ago when I was burned out in corporate and there was a sense inside of me that life could be better, but I had no idea what it meant at that point in time. I was stressed, um, frustrated working for a family-owned company, the third in a period of like a 15-year string of working for family-owned companies where I just wasn't appreciated anymore. And there was one distinct day where I threw my hands up and stormed out. I, I just had enough. And that was the moment that I realized I could be free of it all, even though I still had a mortgage to pay. Um, because that Friday morning when I got home after having my temper tantrum, I had the most incredibly freeing weekend ever. <laughs> even though I didn't know where the next paycheck was going to come from to, to pay the mortgage. I woke up calm on Saturday. There was no stress on Sunday afternoon. I didn't get into this worry of, oh my God, I got to go back to work tomorrow. It, was like, it is what it is. And when I did go, I did wind up going back to that job because I did have a mortgage to pay, but I went back with a very different attitude at that point because I, I had broken through this idea that I needed them in some way and realized they needed me for what I was providing. So that's, that was the first moment of getting out. And then shortly thereafter, my, at the time, girlfriend, now wife, and I were moving from Kansas City to Florida. And it was time for me to reinvent anyway, even if I wasn't burned out in the industry I was in at the time. What I did didn't exist in Southwest Florida. So it was time to do something different. And I started on a journey with initially becoming a hypnotherapist and be, being of service to others, helping them live bigger lives and more fulfilling lives. And then that journey turned into something I never expected of the ups and downs. We, you know, thinking about becoming an entrepreneur and having that idea that it's just going to be a, a really smooth slope and, and grad, gradual yet always upward slope in, in the climb of getting to this ideal. Um, it was a slow start. <laughs> it was frustrating. I had to step back and reevaluate so many times throughout it and question, was I on the right path? Because there were times I didn't feel like I was. But it was all the fear coming forward because things weren't where I wanted them to be. But by sticking with it and continuing to make those little improvements and doing the little bit extra every day got me to where I am now. So you're saying discipline, essentially. <laughs> discipline and persistence, definitely. Um, 
it wasn't long after I had opened my practice in Florida and three months later found out that we were moving to Los Angeles. So I had to completely reinvent in the beginning of, no, not reinvent, but completely rebrand and do everything else. And I've told the story when I'm teaching that when Sarah and I moved to Los Angeles, I knew three people in the entire state of California, her, her mother, and her brother. You can't start from a much lower zero than that. And while I had this dream of being an entrepreneur, there was a there was this gut check moment where I was watching my 401k that I'd been living off of dwindle and knew there was only so much money left that I had to step way, way back and take a job that I could sit here and say it was so beneath me. Um, I was working retail, managing a Tommy Bahama for a period of nine <laughs> months or so as I'm building my business and I'm sitting in these moments, I'm, I'm sitting there doing my thing, folding, folding very nice shirts, um, <laughs> thinking you, you are such a fraud. You, you are not an entrepreneur. You're not this, you're not that. And going home that night, writing my blog articles, doing my thing. And while I didn't necessarily fully appreciate it at the time, looking back, I can see that that was an instrumental part of my growth because it gave me, while it wasn't wonderful financial stability, at least stopped the hemorrhage of my bank account temporarily. So I could, I could then grow into the thing without all the stress of I've got to make this happen right now. You know, I think that's the right um, choice, really the right uh, decision, because, you know, there are a lot of coaches out there that tell people, um, I guess, pretend business coaches or just coaches in general, tell people, you know, you should dive all in, you should quit your job if you hate it, dive all in, because only when you dive all in, you're going to get it growing or get it going faster and, and whatever. But I think that's actually bullshit, because... Um, it doesn't work that way for six months, you will be, or 12 months or more, you will be thinking about how to put food on the table or how to pour you pay your mortgage or rent or whatever it is. And you can actually end up on the street if you're not careful enough. And so I think that there's absolutely no shame in, um, getting a job in the meantime and growing your business kind of, um, uh, on your days off. And I think that, yes, that growth happens, um, slower that, takeoff happens much at a much slower rate, but it, it's, it comes with a lot more confidence, financial confidence, confidence in your lifestyle, confidence in your life in general. And so I think you did the right thing. And there's definitely no shame uh, to work to do anything pretty much, I think. And it, it feels like a more stable foundation doing it that way. Like the, the roots were allowed to, to go deep and then spread out versus hitting the first groundwater and not having any real solid foundation under it. Um, and also in there, it, it makes me, as I think back on it, it makes me think of the quote from um, the movie that was just out about Kurt Warner, who was a, a football player. And there's a moment where he's got his football dream. He wants to be, you know, has a dream from being seven years old of being the MVP of the NFL and he misses his first chance with the Packers, winds up stocking shelves at a high V in Iowa somewhere, and is talking to his, at the time, girlfriend, saying, you know, I got a job today. And she's like, oh, I'm going to be stocking, stocking shelves at the high V. And um, they talk, she said to him, sometimes you got to do, the, you have to do the things you have to do to be able to do the things you want to do. Yeah. And taking that, that pressure off that I have, you know, 
had I gone all in at that point, I sense that my energy would have been put into clutching and gripping. I have to get the next client and been in that quintessential used car person energy of I've got to make this deal happen versus really being there for service of I want to work with somebody, but I don't have to. And in the more spiritual work I would do, it's it's more about the chakras. If we're if we're in that energetic of survival that I have to make it happen, we get that clutchy that turns into repelling energy that just drives people away because nobody wants to be around that. We're making yeah. it about us and I've, I've got to eat tomorrow versus I'm here to help and I want to be here to serve you. I agree with that and I love it because that's exactly where I think a lot of the roadblocks come in when you think come from that come from I have to make it happen no matter what and I think that going all in will result in exactly that and so eventually it will work but or hopefully will work or you'll switch some switch careers or do whatever but I think that it's that energy you're absolutely right that people do feel it and I would certainly feel that as well and um, talk a little bit about um kind of how you realized what your calling was, how you found what you do now and talk a little bit about what you, what it is that you do now and how, what, what is the transformation that you help people achieve and experience through working with you? Sure. What my tagline now is I coach dead people (laughs) and the definition of a dead person in, in this space is someone who has been chasing the next thing chasing the title, chasing the next the next higher level paycheck, um, chasing the next toy, chasing the next relationship, the next big house, and putting all of their interest in putting things outside of them in power over them. I'm not saying toys and new houses and new relationships are bad things, but it, when they're controlling you, it takes your power away. You still have them, just know, know the power is in here. And I've, what got me there was in that moment or in those months of existential crisis back in 2012 and 2013, when I was trying to figure out what life was, I was in a marriage that was failing um, in a job that was sucking my soul dry. Yet I had this feeling that things could be better. I, I didn't know how, I didn't know what, there was just something inside of me that said, this ain't what it's about. And I dove deep into more self-help books, trying to find the answers. One came across my awareness that's written by a guy named Isaiah Henkel in the book is Black Hole Focus, and it literally changed my life. I was reading it at the same time I was reading the book called Blue Zones about the five areas, four or five areas in the world where people live to be over 100 and they're healthy over 100. In both, there's a concept out of Okinawa called Ikigai, that Okinawans don't have a word for retirement in their language, but they do have a word that roughly translates to the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. And it's about living with purpose. So like here I am reading two very different books that both present the same thing. Like I got to pay attention to this. So I started asking myself, why am I going to this job? This the surface answer was always because you have a job, you more, you, you have a mortgage, you moron, you need to pay bills. And I was like, yeah, that's there. That's okay. That's it. But that's not the thing. That's, that's just here. I could get a paycheck anywhere. Why is it here? Why am I staying here? Why am I not looking for it somewhere else? Uh, because I did have some sort of attachment to that company. 
And it took about two weeks of asking myself that every morning. And one day a client called me and just, they had a hot project drop in their lap. And they said, I, we need you to come over. Can you help us out? We don't know how to get to the end result, but we know you will. And when I hung up the phone, the cartoon light bulb was going off over my head and I felt this really solid, this, this intense knowing in my gut. This, I love problem solving and I'm really good at it. And I love the negotiation to find out what's, what's the best solution we can come up with everything we know right now. And I sat back with that just to be with it. I'm like, there's something here because I, I, you could feel it. And once I did, then I started asking myself, where do I take that and what do I do with it? And that's what led me initially into hypnotherapy and ultimately into the coaching that I do now. And it's, it's an important pause of what does bring me to life and what brings others to life? What's, what's the passion in the clients that I work with that really it's not about doing a job. It's being fully engaged in something that they love doing that doesn't even feel like work anymore. I love it. And so um, I know that you said you coach dead people. And so if someone is listening to us talking now and uh, we're, I guess, would they, how would they realize that, okay, I need someone like you. I need to work with someone like you. Um, what, what would that spectrum of emotions and or thoughts that they are experiencing right this moment to, to be the, for you to be that light bulb for them to be like, I, I'm not really living. A feeling of hollowness and unfulfillment that life has very little meaning, not all the way over to depression where it's like life has no meaning, but just kind of going through the motions every day, um, taking going on vacation and never on never really unplugging because I I'm the one who has to be there. I'm the one who that everybody has to get a hold of. I'm it's all me. I have to be important to serve them versus I got to take care of me or being surrounded by all those toys and trappings that bring fun to life absolutely but letting them control us versus enjoying them. Um, that would be the first thing. And just this innate sense that there's something else out there that everything that's been achieved up to this moment, not so much isn't enough, but it's not filling the void inside. And it's, it's funny that I'm describing it that way. And maybe because there was just a... Um, over the weekend or late last week, there was a picture of the center of the galaxy of a black hole that's finally been photographed and black holes there. There's, there's wonderful intergalactic things that just suck everything into them. They're, they're, they're a never ending void. It's, I think back to how I felt at that moment. It, it was a void that could not be filled no matter how many things, how many toys, how many vacations, how many other paychecks or whatever else, it didn't matter. It didn't fill the emptiness inside of me. That makes a lot of sense. And I just uh, muted myself for a second because there was some noise going going on in the background. So I had to shush it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so how do you, when you started your business and you were kind of growing it as you were working full time for somebody else, how, what were the things that kind of you realized that you had to do or had to handle and, or had to think about that you didn't really um 
that I guess you didn't expect to that surprised you? And it could be a good or a bad surprise um, in that way. The first, this is going to sound really strange saying to somebody who works with numbers all day. I didn't realize how much 30% of gross actually was. Like, oh, I knew I had to put money aside for paying taxes eventually because now it's not being taken out by my employer. Like, oh, this is awesome. I just got paid $1,000. Wait, what? <laughs> it's 300 of that's going to, going to the side to the government in various forms. Um, that was a shocker. That was, that was hard to deal with initially of, of having the, again, going back to that word discipline, the discipline to every time put that money aside and not touch it. Um, that was the, that was a big, big challenge. I think it's the same for pretty much everyone except for accountants. Don't you, don't you think? I would think so. <laughs> Even accountants, I think, um, well, at least the firm I used to work for, uh, most partners, there was about seven partners. Most partners would do their own taxes on like October 15th, the day of. Um, that's insane. So when I started my own firm, I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it first and then do everybody else. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think it, it also applies to not just non-accountants, but it actually is the same way for accountants as well. For most, most accountants, have, people in general hate dealing with taxes, hate um, paying taxes, paying somebody to, uh, to prepare taxes and that kind of stuff. So I think it's, you're not the only one. And it definitely didn't shock me to hear that. So mm -hmm. <laughs> Rest assured. <laughs> yeah. The other one was I, at the time when I first opened in Florida, I was a personal banking customer of a bank whose name rhymes with Wells Fargo. And I didn't know enough at the time, this is before all the, the scandals of Wells, that I didn't know enough about the other options to be able to accept credit card payments. And I wound up renting one of the one of those clover machines like they're so cool before i ever had client one so that i could take credit card without thinking about oh it's a monthly payment of 40 bucks great or you can pay us 1100 and just buy it outright yeah i don't have 1100 right now i'll just rent that thing and then discovering months later i had to move so everything was going on temporary hold while i rebuilt the business and then all the dirt came out about Wells Fargo, and I decided I'd never work with them again. And I couldn't transfer that machine to another bank because it was for Wells. And the bigger thing that I learned was that when I signed that contract, even though I was sitting in a Wells Fargo office, the contract I was signing was with the clearinghouse, which is a company called First Data, and they don't care. They're the big clearinghouse for all the big banks. Oh, nope. You signed a contract. Um, you can just send us the remaining balance on that, or you can keep paying us forty dollars a month. But you're not going to get any transactions through it. We'll take your forty dollars. That's fine. Just um, so I, it became a personal point of pride at that point that I would never use the machine again. And once it was down to a number, and I had built up the reserves of cash to say how much will, how much do I have to pay to make this thing go away because it's taking up space in my garage? And I think I was down to like six fifty at that point. Like fine. Where do I send it? Where do I send the check? I'm done. I learned my lesson. <laughs> and now wow. and I went to PayPal for like 20 bucks. I got a card reader that served me wonderfully. Yeah. And now you don't even pay for those things anymore. They give it to you free because exactly. they want your business. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so wow. I learned the hard way. And I share that story with everyone so that you don't learn. <laughs> you can learn from my mistake. Wow. That's uh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So to tell tell me a little bit about how what you do now, what are you working on now? How do you work with clients? I know you have a couple of different ways of working with clients. You have the one-on-ones, you're launching the group. Um, so talk a little bit about that. Basically brag about yourself. And also I would love for you to brag about your books that you've written and launched, uh, but we can come back to that once you've shared that. Okay, first. perfect. Yeah, I um, I work with clients one-on-one. I'm rolling out a group program in July. So it'll be July of 22. That'll be an eight-week program, all designed around what I call transcendent living. And it's getting out of the idea of the shoulds. Who do, who do we think we should be? Who, what are our limiting thoughts? And finding that, that core wisdom within my clients, the same as I had that epiphany one day where I could feel it right here. And I knew who I, I suddenly knew who I was or what my life was about. Finding that and helping my clients dig through all the accumulated beliefs or shoulds or things that other people have told them they can't do or they should do differently. So they can really live their purpose and their ikigai. And that, that all happens through just extended conversations of getting past these surface ideas to get down to the core of who we are. Um, the one-on-one, I do three-month, six-month, and one-year engagements to really not only get in, but then expand it outward into life of how would you show up differently once you know that? What would you do differently? And then the the eight-week program will be an evergreen. It'll, it'll keep rolling out every few months. We'll, I'll engage a new set of participants and journeyers to go through an eight-week intensive to uncover it. And the funny thing is, while it's about transcendent living and it's called transcendent living, at the end of the day, none of us get out of here alive. So what do you want on your tombstone? I and love living it. toward that as an eventuality. I love it. Yeah, definitely spend some time thinking about the tombstone um, messages. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Awesome. So talk about the books that you've written and how uh, who the book is, the books are for who they were written for and what, where they people can buy them and get them, whatever. Sure. Well, of course, on Amazon. <laughs> so we'll, we'll start there. You can find them all on Amazon. Um, I co-wrote my, the first two with um, my co-author, who is a shaman in British Columbia. Her name's Iris Turner. And the first one, Practical Manifesting, is about bringing the the spooky spiritual concepts of the law of attraction and the universal laws down to a more grounded discussion that's still spiritual, but brings it into practicality. And the whole idea behind it is I got frustrated 15, 20 years ago when I read The Secret and it felt like all I have to do is wish for it and it'll happen. And it didn't. I'm like, that's a bunch of crap. And when I was going through my hypnotherapy training, finding out there's not one law, there's 21, and they all kind of flow together in how, how we show up and how we interact with the universal, the universe in itself. It's all about action. And that's what practical manifesting was about. It's like, get the idea first. Everything starts with an idea, but then you got to do the work to make it real and, and bring it into three-dimensional reality. Then the second book, so it's very it's written very practically with a spiritual spin. 
the second book, A Pessimist Guide to Manifesting, is a deep dive into each of the 21 laws. So if someone wants to understand more about the other 20, because you know, law of attraction has been talked to death, it's about how do they interact. And then the idea of the pessimist guide is how so often we come into it thinking this is just a bunch of bullshit. This is a bunch of crap. It doesn't work. And how actually that creates the energetic of it not working because we come into the energy of the law out of alignment with it. So each chapter is a deep dive into each of the 21 laws of here's what hap- here's how you experience it out of alignment and here's how you shift into alignment. And here's how this law actually works in conjunction with this one. So you can really funnel the experience together and start making things happening, fa- start making things happen faster. I love it. I mean, I do have the books. I haven't had a chance to read them yet, but I will. <laughs> Especially now, it sounds really cool. Um, so uh, you also have an ebook uh, on your website, is that correct? Yes, uh, the three keys to transcendent living. How do you start this process of getting out of what you've been doing and how you've been living your life up to this moment, living essentially as a dead person, if that's how you feel? What are the steps to breaking that pattern and starting to live in the new way that's fulfilling and find your path forward. Awesome. Yeah. And so talk, um, as we kind of conclude and we'll, um, I'll want to ask you a question of if you could go back in time and, and talk to your younger self, what would you say to that person? I would go back to probably my six or seven year old self who had been told he was an accident by his mother many, many, many times and sit down with that child and let him know that he was not an accident. That's all here for a purpose. And while it, it hurts like hell right now, it's making you a stronger person long-term. That's awesome. I love it. And I definitely, I've heard you talk about that in one of your speeches and it's, it really was powerful. Um, and really upsetting sort of, uh, made me angry at your mom for saying that. But, you know, um, you, the great thing is that you've done such great work uh, throughout your life, and it's really powerful um, it's, that you've shared it. Yeah, it's and it's funny. I had a, a powerful experience in Peru last year where I was on a shamanic journey and had a vision of both of my parents, both of them had decades of issues with. And in this this healing release realized while there's so many things I resented, I wouldn't be who I am right now had they not been who they were. And it was in that moment of like, you did your job. I might not agree with how you did it, but you did the job you had to do for me to be who I am. And that makes it okay. That's awesome. I love it. So Daniel, um, talk, uh, tell us uh, how people can, can, people who are listening or watching, how can they connect with you and explore more about what you about what you do and also potentially get your ebook i believe it's free correct mm-hmm. yep it is free on the site there's a few different places where you can click to download it uh, just by providing your email and easiest way to find me is is at my website my website is my name danielalexa.com um, you can find me on all the major socials facebook instagram linkedin um, not so much a twitter yet slowly <laughs> expanding into tiktok but I'm not doing dancing videos. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. <laughs> I'm a 56-year-old sure. white guy. I'm not coordinated enough to do this. 
Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I'm not a, a guy, but you know, it definitely can relate to that. Um, awesome. Daniel, it was so great to have you. I've really wanted to have you on my show for, for a while. Just um, it hasn't worked out during tax season, but I'm glad that we were able to connect and really talk. And I hope that um, it was helpful for people who are listening because there are so many people, I think, uh, you know, Jen and Chris, uh, Super Connector Media, they think at the event, last event in October, Jen said that the new statistic post-COVID, although we're not technically post-COVID, we're kind of in it, uh, was that 90% of people ha- hate their jobs. Um, and I think that it relates very much to what you help them overcome and become alive as opposed to dead and unhappy and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep, they hate their jobs so much they're not going back to them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the great resignation for sure. Yeah. But the problem is like, what do you do? You still have to pay your bills and stuff. So mm-hmm. definitely yep. something that um, that a lot of people need. And I'm really happy that you're providing this support and really happy to have you on my show. Thanks. It's been a pleasure being here and an honor. Thank you. All right, everybody. So we'll see you next week for another episode of Talk to Tatiana. And... Bye for now.